Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left for Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to, it, to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Father, we just thank you for your anointing and we thank you that you teach through your word. And Father, I want to pray for Andrew now as he shares with us. Father, let his ears be your word. And Father, let our hearts be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ria and Holly. Right. It's a good job I haven't planned a long sermon, really, isn't it? So if you've been here the last two Sundays, and if you haven't, I'm going to tell you anyway, Tim has been talking about going on pilgrimage, and last week a heart set on pilgrimage. And in this third talk in our pilgrim series, we're going to compare and contrast the heart of a pilgrim with the heart of a tourist. And I want to look at that passage that you just read so beautifully, uh, and Jesus is testing in the wilderness and see what that can teach us about being a pilgrim here in Bath in 2023. So, just to get us thinking, here are some examples. And I just want to be clear, when I'm talk what I'm talking about here is not about going on holiday. I'm talking about our approach to life in general, our whole lives. So, tourists. Tourists are seeking to escape from reality. Whereas a pilgrim seeking a deeper experience of reality, ultimate reality, i.e. God. Tourists, sorry, you're tourists over this side, by the way. Tourists, they want to see all the sights. They talk about doing places. Pilgrims want to see what God is up to. They want to experience places. Tourists want to take lots of photos and buy souvenirs 
I think it's something about trying to be able to remember the sights they've seen, the journey they've been on. Pilgrims seek to avoid distractions. I don't think phones and cameras enable, yeah, I don't think phones and cameras are for, tour for pilgrims. They want to be present, be in the moment, because that way the experience is imprinted in their mind. Tourists consume. Pilgrims connect. Tourists expect everything to be perfect, and they get really upset when it isn't. Pilgrims, they know that there are going to be problems. After all, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So the pilgrim's focus is on navigating those difficulties or problems successfully. Tourists, they expect everyone to be there to serve them. Pilgrims have a servant heart and a servant attitude. Finally, tourists, not always, but sometimes they're looking to find themselves when they go off traveling. Whereas pilgrims are always looking to find God. And the irony of that is that when they find God, they also find out who they really are, i.e. their true identity in God. So that was just to get us thinking. You can apply the tourist-pilgrim approach to lots of things. In fact, pretty much everything in our lives. And this is my first challenge to each one of us this evening. Am I living as a tourist or a pilgrim in the job or career or vocation I follow? Well, I think we've already had a pretty big example this evening of what being a pilgrim means in terms of job and career and finances, etc. Am I being a tourist or a pilgrim in my close relationships and what I try to get from my close relationships? In how I spend my money? In where I choose to live? Maybe in how I choose to live? And in the church family I'm part of? I'm going to take that last one as an example. The tourist sees church from the perspective of a consumer. They go to the best, brightest, shiniest church they can find because it ticks all their tourist boxes. The pilgrim's view of church is to start with, God, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to connect, serve, grow? Even if that may not always be easy. Well, let's be honest, it often isn't easy. So today is an interesting time to think about this because we're facing a period of uncertainty. We're going to be facing a period of time without a vicar. The tourist might choose to go somewhere else because it's too much hassle. I'm hoping and praying that as pilgrims, we will continue to journey together as the St. Matt's family through the difficulties we will navigate over the next few months and possibly year. So that's all very well, but where did the passage that Mew read so beautifully, where does that passage in Luke fit in? How does it relate to the challenge of being a tourist or a pilgrim? Well, I wondered that when Tim actually gave me the passage and the title. Um, but I think it does fit in very well. Um, I suspect many of you have heard sermons before on Luke chapter 4 or the equivalent passage in Matthew when Jesus is tested in the wilderness. I certainly have. And they often seem to focus on 
the brilliance of Jesus in refuting the devil by quoting scripture. Although you might have noticed the devil also quotes scripture and it's worth remembering that. And of course, Jesus is utterly brilliant. But I worry that his brilliance sometimes causes us to miss the point. You see, it's very easy to think, well, Jesus is God's son. He's truly special. Of course, he was able to stand up against the devil's testing. It was kind of easy for him. No, it wasn't easy for him. Jesus was a man. Look in verse 2 of the passage. Oh, there we go. You can put that up. Verse 2 of Luke 4. For 40 days, Jesus ate nothing and he was hungry, just like us. Only not really, because I've never fasted for longer than 12 hours, let alone 40 days. He wasn't just hungry. He was famished and physically weak. But he was completely human. And we don't want to forget that. And that's why today, you'll be glad to know, I don't want to get carried away with a forensic analysis of how Jesus stood firm and what he quoted and when. What I want to look at briefly is the underlying testing because Jesus is human like us. And I want us to think about how we meet that same kind of testing. Spiritual warfare would be a, perhaps a better way of putting it in our lives today and how a pilgrim heart can help us stand firm against the devil. Right at the start... Actually, even before that, Bill, right at the start of Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a 40-day fast and to be tempted by the devil. So this testing is part of God's plan. Jesus was led there by the Spirit. So what on earth is going on here? Well, just before the testing, so this is back in Luke 3, before the genealogy, Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan. And God the Father is so pleased with Jesus that he breaks two of his normal protocols. First of all, the Spirit is seen descending onto Jesus in bodily form as a dove. Doesn't normally happen. And secondly, an audible voice from heaven is heard, not just by Jesus, but by everybody who's there, saying, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus has just had this amazing spiritual experience. He's been validated by God as his son. I, I kind of find it difficult to describe how excited, exhilarated, ecstatic Jesus must have been at this point. And yet, the spirit, rather than some sort of celebration, which you might have expected, the spirit takes him straight off to the wilderness with no food for severe testing. Now, Luke doesn't say this, but I think it's pretty easy to work out what is going on here. Jesus has just received the validation as God's son, but now he has to go and work out what, what does that mean? What kind of son, what kind of savior is he going to be? Or if you prefer, what is his purpose? What is his calling? And that's what's happening in Luke 4 when the devil comes to him and tests him in verses 3 to 13. So I want to canter through the three testing cells quite quickly, but I want to try and make them relevant for us. Because I, as I said before, I think we face spiritual warfare very much like this as we seek to follow Jesus. 
and as we work out what our calling is. So, first test. As I've mentioned, Jesus, well, it's obvious, Jesus is really, really hungry. And the devil says, you don't have to stay hungry, you know. Take things into your own hands. There are options here. You could turn these stones into bread. You could choose the tourist approach of filling yourself with good things. Jesus says, yes, but those good things, as you call them, they don't bring true life. So Jesus says, I'm going to choose to trust God and be a pilgrim, not a tourist. So how are you doing with this first test? We all get hungry, and I'm not just meaning for food. It could be for money, for possessions, car, house, job, friends, intimacy, etc. And the devil comes to us, and he says, you don't need to be hungry, you know. There are options here. And he's not lying at this point, because there are options and the more we are willing to turn away from trusting God, the more options there are. The lie is that these options will bring us what we most deeply want and need. The tourist life, therefore, is full of idols. They don't bring us true life. Not the life Jesus was talking about in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that you may have life, life to the full. If we want that life... We need to choose to be a pilgrim and trust God even when we are desperately hungry. Second test. The devil comes to Jesus and says, you don't need to be a pilgrim and go the way of suffering. There are easier ways. There are shortcuts to gain authority and power and some respect, even some glory in this world. All you need to do is worship me. Well, what is worship? At its core, worship is when we give our heart away to something in return for the promise of life. Jesus knows there are no shortcuts for him. He is crystal clear with the devil that his heart belongs to God and to God alone. Here's the next question for me. Do our hearts belong to God alone? Or do we, like the tourists, sometimes give them away to things that bring us a little bit of power or authority, a little bit of respect, maybe even glory? That's to give your heart away is really, really dangerous because it gives someone or something else authority over us. So how do we, no, sorry, I just, I was going to say, that is really dangerous. Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, or as the NIV puts it, for everything you do flows from it. The heart is crucial. How do we guard our heart? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, and I only saw this recently, and it struck me being a verse that I should have probably seen some time ago. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need 
and thank him for all he has done for you. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. So Paul's answer is, we need God's peace to guard our hearts and minds. And how do we get it? By living in Christ. It's that union with Christ that's so important if we're not to give our hearts away. Third test. You probably spotted this. This is about identity and whether God really loves us. The devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, prove it. And, and prove that God really cares for you. And Jesus says, I don't need to prove it. I know it to be true. I think what had just happened at his baptism was pretty crucial here for Jesus. Personally, I find this third test especially difficult. What about you? See, the devil is very good at using the pain and confusion of a fallen world to throw doubt over God's goodness to us. He comes to us with an attack on God's heart to us as individuals. How do we make a stand? How do we make a stand here? Well, I think it helps to remember when God has spoken to us and what he's done for us in the past. I think that helps, but I think crucially, we need to go to the cross. Jesus came to, on the, at the cross, Jesus came and answered once and for all the question, do you care for me, God? The ground in front of the cross is the only place where we can take a firm stand against the doubts that will inevitably come in the pilgrim's journey. So those are the three tests. And I think they are as relevant for us today as they were for Jesus then. And then look what the 40 days of testing did for Jesus. Luke says, and it was right at the end of the passage, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So no longer just full of the Spirit, but now with power. And news about him spread throughout the countryside. Everyone praised him. And this is not in the reading, Bill, so you're not going to have it. But the next thing he does is he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, where everyone has known him since he was a little boy. Probably the most, the one place where people are most unlikely to believe who he is. He goes into that synagogue, takes the scroll of Isaiah, and reads Isaiah's prophecy about him. So amongst all these people who have known him since he was a little nipper, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So now Jesus knows exactly what kind of savior he is going to be. That's kind of his mission statement. He knows his purpose and his calling so clearly. Do you? Do you know your calling as a follower as an apprentice of Jesus. I want to suggest that that pilgrim approach to life, which I've summarized rather briefly, is vital if you want to understand more about your calling and learn to live it out. Yes, there will be testing involved. Inevitably, it's part of the job spec of being a pilgrim. But Jesus has equipped us to stand firm against the devil's testing. He shared his authority with us. Luke 10, 19, Jesus is sending out the disciples 
he could be sending us out, he says to them, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, maybe not many of them in Bath, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That doesn't mean everything goes beautifully right. It just means that nothing is going to be able to harm his relationship with you. And remember, he walks alongside us. And so do our friends, our care triplet, our soul groups, our our friends within this church family. None of us is to do, I know Tim went off on his own, but none of us is to do the pilgrim journey of life on our own. Now I'm conscious I've covered quite a lot in quite a short space of time this evening. And the testing and the challenges I've given you may have thrown up some things from your past or from your present that you need to process. I think that would be inevitable for me if I was listening. Um, If you would like some prayer to help you, please come to this part of the church during the final worship. And there will be a team of people. I'm saying that with great confidence because I can see Peter and Victoria. I can see Hayden and Mew. There will be a team of people over here who will be happy to pray with you if that would help. You don't have to tell them anything. You can just let them pray with you. That's all I was going to say. Thank you. Back to you. Thanks, Andy. We knew about the band to come up. And um, great wisdom there. And uh, to move from being filled with the Holy Spirit to being power of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's, that's what we need, isn't it, in the days we live in, in this city, in our life, in our spiritual journey. And we're all called on to that pilgrimage. So thank you, Andrew, for um, helping us in understanding that. Father, I want to pray for us as we go, as we close tonight in worship. Lord, there's lots of things to think about, lots of questions and conversations I never thought will happen. But I thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd who leads us. Lord, whether um, it's through the valleys or whether it's on the mountaintops, you are the God who wants to lead us to inspire us, to encourage us, and to journey with us on our pilgrim walk. So, Lord, I pray, Father, for your presence to go with us. I thank you that your promise is not to leave us as orphans, that your spirit comes alongside the paraclete, the one who comes beside us to bring truth and clarity to us, your words from your throne room. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you here now, even as we respond to what Andrew said as we close in worship. We yield our hearts to you. Lord, and we say, we don't want to be a tourist. We want to be a pilgrim. We might not fully understand what that means, but our hearts respond and say, yes, Lord. Lord, I'm reminded of those first disciples, Jesus, when you called them, when they were mending their nets, when they were working with their family, when Matthew was kind of collecting the money as a tax collector, and you simply called and said, follow me. And they left everything, no longer tourists, but became pilgrims to follow you. Lord, you don't call us all to leave our jobs or to leave our homes and to kind of travel across the world, but you call us to be a people who are ready to follow you, Lord, in obedience. And I pray that each of us, whatever our experience or knowledge of you might be, that we would hear the words of Jesus, the wonderful, glorious words of Jesus, spoken with love and with a smile on your face and wide open arms that simply says, follow me. Lord, we want to be pilgrims who follow you in obedience. Stand for us.